Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Mike Brock. Now, many of you who follow Mike on Twitter and social media uh, will know him as the CEO of TBD, which focuses on decentralized applications, Web5, and is within the block ecosystem. Um, Awesome company that he's been at for a very long time. Um, But Mike also offers a lot of perspective to the Bitcoin community, talking a lot about things in the world, about politics, philosophy, and I think it's just really one of the greatest follows in the space uh, to get a lot of nuanced views on certain big high world impacts. So we get into all of that. We talk about philosophy, social media, political polarization, the Bitcoin ecosystem, Bitcoin culture. And this was just a really fun conversation for me. And I'm sure a lot of people will have, you know, different views or disagreements or agreements with this episode, but we'll continue to put out more content like this, in addition to all sorts of content through the Progressive Bitcoiner just, that just covers nuanced conversations and just had a really uh, good time chatting with Mike. And we'll definitely be sure to do this again in the future. So again, if you have any feedback on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. And we will see you again next week. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Trey. Glad to be here. Yeah, as I was just saying to you before we hit record, one of the reasons I'm really interested to have you on the show is, you know, I w- once I got into Bitcoin a few years ago, I've kind of seen you being a steady presence online in the community, being around for a while, um, talking about things and for lack of better terms, trying to what I view as be a, a voice of reason on a lot of very complex and nuanced things. Um which I guess sounds a little wild to say, um, but in this day of extreme polarization on social media and all different avenues, I think that's a real strength. So I've really enjoyed seeing you kind of in the space on Twitter, on on whatever the case may be, talking about a lot of complex things and being um, real signal on that. But before we jump into to all of this and, and this really good conversation, can you let folks know who you are, your background, things like that for folks that may not know you? Yeah. Um... I'm the the CEO of TBD, um, which is a um, part of the broader company block, uh, formerly known as Square. Um, before I was leading this new division of the company, uh, which hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about today, um, what we're doing and, and how I think it's relevant to the things you speak about. Um, I was uh, leading our strategy team um, at Cash App. Uh, I, had, I, I was one of the the early team members there that 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 built a lot of the early infrastructure and 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 products for for Cash App. Uh, before that, I was an uh, engineer at Red Hat um, doing open source stuff back, and I'm kind of back to open source stuff, TBD. So um, that's kind of my brief uh, um, sort of curriculum vitae i you know i I, you know i'm kind of you know you you, one of one of the things you you sort of mentioned is like sort of seeing me in the community like 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 talking about like all various different things like like political things philosophical things moral things you know it's it's funny i i don't know if i've ever said this in any interview before but like you know one of my sort of uh initial passions in life was um 
philosophy, actually. And so I'm, in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of, I sometimes jokingly refer to myself as a failed philosopher. I didn't really mm-hmm. um, follow that as an academic path. Um, and, and funnily enough, like a lot of my, my good friends are actual real philosophers who, uh, who operate inside philosophy departments in universities. So um, I'm, I'm always loving uh, thinking about, um, you know, the, the world in really deep places and um, morally parsing things. And so, so that, that, that's kind of like, I think that that's probably the other side of me and the one that you're, you're probably seeing a little bit come through on Twitter because, or x.com now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my, uh, kind of been my outlet for that. Um, and most of that all being my personal opinions and not, I'm, I've, I've tried to actually use my, to be clear, like my, my, um, my public persona on Twitter slash com as, uh, as sort of my, 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 my personal non, non-professional outlet. Um, sometimes hard to like separate those things, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's me. Same for us all. Um, you mentioned some of the, the philosophers too, and you know, many of them, especially in the Bitcoin space, like, like Bradley, Troy, Andrew, just awesome voices that have have become more vocal in the past year or two, which pulled people like me in, like us humanities kids, because I, I have a background in sociology and that's kind of my my heart and passion. And I think too, uh, you know, I don't know if you would consider yourself a cypherpunk a bit, but I think the cypherpunks are deeply philosophical, right? Just the the movement and then you see people who still either label themselves that or involved in that work today, deeply philosophical group. And I think that's a huge draw and passion for a lot of the cypherpunks is not Yes, it's technology, code, it's not money, that's for sure. Um, but it's this deeper sense of like trying to fix broken things, I think. And I, and I see that a lot in what you're posting, at least, and, and the work at TBD as well, which, which we'll get into. Um, so that completely makes sense to me. Cool. I don't know I would call myself a cypherpunk. It's probably not fair to say that. Um, although I, I certainly admire um, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the, the, the values that, that cypherpunks have sort of brought to the internet over the years. Um, and, you know, we can talk about that. And I mean, I, I, I view that as a really important part of, of civil society and, and, and the sort of the counterbalancing of, of power structures. So like love the cypherpunk community. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't portray myself as part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, we, Yay, cypherpunks. Yeah. <laughs> End episode. Um, well, well, one of the things I want to start off too, because I, I think, you know, I think it'll be similar in some ways, but a bit different as well. But your conversation with, with Peter McCormack um, maybe a year ago, it's probably less than that at this point. Um, but one of the things that was interesting that you started off with that is really kind of funny and ironic to me, um, there's, there's some Bitcoiners that would say, that have literally said to me, right? And I'm not saying all, but but many have said, oh, if you're progressive or left coming into Bitcoin, you'll lose that over time. You'll become less progressive or less yeah. left or, or or whatever as you grow into Bitcoin. And I and I think there's a lot of pushback arguments there. And we can go into why Bitcoin is apolitical in this political party and identity sense and it's code and tech. It it is political in one way. Um, but what what's funny we is about, we should know, talk about that. I, I'm not I'm not sure that that Bitcoin is a political, um, but I don't think it's political in the way that I think you and I will agree it's not political in the way that like precludes say you know bringing it to a progressive politics or bringing it to a liberal yeah. politics or like I mean it, it's certainly it's certainly political in in the yeah. sense that you know it 
you, you know, like you, you can't disentangle technology and culture from politics. And so, you know, the, the political philosophy, failed political philosopher in me would push back a little bit on, on, on the use of the term apolitical. But I, but I think like the, 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 the point that, that you were making and the one that, that, that I would certainly make is that, yeah, you don't have to be a, like a, a right-wing libertarian or an anarchist or, you know, anarcho-capitalist in order to, to see Bitcoin as, as part of a, you know, a broader set of, of, of tools in, in the world to, to bring about like, like positive change, um, you know, either in the narrow economic sense or in a broader cultural sense or, or even a political sense. So I, I would, I would quibble with the term apolitical. I've, I've never said that about it, but, um, it, you know, that, but I, but I, I definitely agree with the sentiment that you advance, uh, when, when you, when you make that point. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I think there's so much in Bitcoin that people have a tough time putting labels to, right. right. Just in general, like, like this podcast is called the progressive Bitcoiner. And I have gone back and forth with that so many times. And, I've personally come to a place where I'd like to try to revisit that word in a new era that Bitcoin is ushering in. And it's a bit of marketing as well, if I'm being honest, okay. to say, if you're a progressive and left, you have been told, mainstream and a lot of politicians, that, that Bitcoin is not for you, that you shouldn't be into Bitcoin and that Bitcoin is your, your enemy in one way or another. And it's yeah. a part of this right-wing camp in yeah. the United States, right? So I try to have a lot of global conversations on this podcast as well, so people can see this is a lot of times just a Western and, and U.S. argument. So mm -hmm. a lot of that is a bit of marketing as well to say, oh, progressive and Bitcoiner, I thought those two things can't go together. Well, it can, and here's why. So a bit of that is marketing, but also I'd like to try to reclaim that word from what people associate it with um, in this day and age, which I'd also love to talk to you about mm -hmm. privacy and a, a, a lot of this as well. And another thing we'll get into, you know, this episode is being recorded on September 11th, you know, today, yeah. and it'll come out in a few weeks. There's a lot of privacy things that came out of such a horrendous attack on our country that we could probably talk about and reflect on that mm -hmm. some folks in the left um, might not like to talk about as much. I don't think they'd be against um, advocating for a privacy tech and things like that. So it'd also be so kind again, of fun to talk about like what we think the left is um, today. Yeah. Um, if you have an answer for that, let me know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, that, that term gets like thrown around a lot. And I, yeah. I, I think that. It, it's a it's very obviously very loaded term mm -hmm. um and particularly in american politics today you know i think i i probably wouldn't agree that like the with with like say a lot you know a lot of people's definition of the left on the right i think i think the what what people call the left today in the u.s right is a conglomeration of, of, of various political ideologies right like mm -hmm. like I, I i mean i i i in the way that I use these terms, like, I don't think that like liberals and progressives are, are really they're they, while they are ally, allying themselves under the big tent, say of the democratic party, it's pretty clear to me that like they actually occupy different parts of the ideological spectrum. And you see this play out in terms of like internal party fighting between the left wing, they call it the left wing and the moderates. And, all stuff. Yep. and the, so the, the left is like a, a pretty like complicated, like beast, um, as it's defined in that broad way. Curious to kind of, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm not even quite sure about what your politics are, but like, mm -hmm. I, 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 um, I'd, I'd be curious to sort of narrow in on what we're talking about there, especially if we're going to talk about polarization and what it means and what's going on. So, yeah. um, in, in the world and, and even within Bitcoin. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, there's, there's so many levels to that too. Because right, right now, let's say just, you know, one of the reasons that I was interested in doing this podcast, having these conversations is uh, for, for better or for worse, let's just take it net, net neutral. There's not a lot of diversity in specifically Bitcoin media outlets mm-hmm. in terms of talking about these type of things are targeted at progressives. Now, for me, I'm like, if we're going to hit Bitcoin mainstream adoption and not have it be so polarized, I want to try to tap into that and show progressives in the left that we can have these Bitcoin conversations and here's how it can align to very, very broad progressive values, such as the environment, such as social justice, such as inequality. Not that it solves all those things, but here are some steps that can be taken. And not as a way to create infighting or to say, oh, this is why they are wrong or this group is wrong, but to say, oh, Bitcoin is inclusive of everyone, including you progressives that your leaders are lying to you about or that or whatever. So that was the initial thing. Um, you know, my, my personal politics that kind of come through in this podcast and other writings, like I, I draw so much inspiration from so many folks in the space and, and Margo Piaz and I have touched on this a lot in terms of those original libertarian leanings, right? Ben DeWall from, from, uh, over, over in Europe as well is such a great example of this, those early libertarian left-leaning cypherpunk, uh, type and occupy movements that kind of draws me into Bitcoin in that regard. Right. Um, and this podcast definitely is not any type of platform where I'm like, okay, we're messaging to Democrats. I kind of articulated saying we're messaging to those that have progressive values that Bitcoin might be able to tap into. And very broadly speaking, the ones that I just I just mentioned to you. And then along the way, it's just adapting, growing, get feedback, hear other conversations, and really just trying to widen the tent of who's talking about Bitcoin and show who else is talking about Bitcoin in the world because it's it's very big and expansive and it's a shame that a lot of people in the u.s associate it far too much with right-wing ideology or u.s-based libertarian ideology and nothing specifically against that it's more like having bitcoin pigeonholed into that it's a super big deal fun and like fascinating uh you know i i've talked about a little bit but it's like but it i mean i guess it's like a little bit fun to unpack because one, you know, like I, you, you know, you referred to the episode I did with Peter McCormick about a year ago. It was about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago. Mm. Um, that where, I, you know, I, I sort of talked about my like ideological journey um, into libertarianism, deep into libertarianism. Mm-hmm. In fact, like a lot of my friends today, um, you know, still hail from that sort of era of my life. Um, and... The, 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 I think like one of the things about human nature ultimately is it's very seductive to have like really strong, self-consistent and, and easy to understand narratives mm-hmm. um, that at least on the surface appear to fit together. Um, you know, we very much like the idea that, you, you know, that, 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 you know, there's, there's no... They're, 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 like things are simple, like, you know, the follow the golden rule there, you know, the, like the do, you know, do unto others what, what you want others to do unto you. That's like all you need, you know, the, the non-aggression principle, all the, all these like really simplified principles that appear to provide like a self-consistent ethic. And I think you, and I think that Bitcoin can, you know, pull you in with that same sort of seduction and you can look at it and you can kind of be blown away by um, the fact that you have this, this system that has these properties, um, that, you know, through 
adversarial dynamics of the network. It 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 it, it becomes more secure, uh, and it's uh, censorship resistant. Has all these properties and doesn't you know can't that supply of of money on the system can't be manipulated by um, by any 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 third party. Um, and the, and then you start to, to you st- and then you start to think to yourself like well you know like money seems to be at the heart of the economy and if that's true then like isn't it a seductive story to say that rebuilding an economy um, around something that is so pure and and inviolable that you know it it, it must just be true that like that we should accept the implications of this. We should accept the implications of, of decentralization as a tenant that, that might mean like the abandonment of the idea of the state. And, and like, it, the, the, like, it, it's not, it's not like actually like hard for me to like understand like why people walk down this path and, and these like dominoes start to fall and you start to get to what you think is this like very, um, self-consistent view of the universe and the world. Mm. I think for, you know, the, I mean, this is going to sound very like elitist and I, I don't know how, how else to say it, but I would say like, you know, for the more like philosophically trained among us, like there, there comes a point where you, you recognize that those reductions and those simplicit sim- simplicities that you try to sort of put into that like sort of base layer of understanding of the world will often lead you astray because the world ends up being orders of magnitude more complex than you think it is. And then mm-hmm. you eventually start to realize that the world we live in is not one that's based on some like simple foundation like that. It's actually, we exist in this world of, you know, to, you know, quote, complexity theorists, like high levels of emergence. And, um, and those high levels of emergence uh, are, um, on top of really complicated processes in the world, um, of which includes our biology itself, right? Like our, our motivations, like so much of, of human nature, right? Is we, we think of human nature in these really like high level ways. Like we think about it in terms of morality and ethics and what you would do if someone punched you in the face. Those are the sort of like really like uh, you know, like easy to think about aspects of human nature, but the more subtle aspects of human nature, right? The fact that like, I'm, I have, I have a slight pain in my stomach right now. And I'm thinking about whether or not that means I'm hungry or, or, or maybe I ate the wrong thing yesterday. And it's like making me think about like, how long in this podcast am I going to be able to go on with this like tummy ache and all these, like, these are like, our, our life is like a conglomeration of, all of these like like biological incentives um, that feed into a very very complex nature that makes like really pinning down, you know, any simplistic theory of 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 like you know a, a perfect way of, of of organizing society really really difficult. And actually, the, the more you you learn about you know uh, the like these these aspects of you know of biology, human behavior anthropology, the, the history of, of, of political and moral thought, you, you, you do start to like come to a very like, you know, I, I guess what's the word I'm looking for. I apologize. I didn't get much sleep last night, by the way. I had a great <laughs> no, you're good. Yesterday. You're not the first <laughs> guest I've talked to in the Bitcoin space that hasn't gotten a lot of sleep. So let's, let's, yeah, let's put um, that there. Uh, but like, 
yeah, you become very, you become very modest about what you think you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to be said for the more you learn, the less you know. Mm-hmm. And it's actually very true because the more you learn, you learn more about the limits of knowledge itself, right? You, you know, in, in this sort of like world of, of, you know, like magical complexity that we occupy, that we take for granted. Um, and that's, that's like really, I think, what separates me from a lot of the people on the other side of this conversation that are insisting that Bitcoin is a certain sort like this catch all solution mm-hmm. to the world. You know, what, what a, what a philosopher might describe my, my, my philosophical approach to Bitcoin would, that would be to use the, the, the term instrumentalist, meaning mm-hmm. that like, I think of Bitcoin as a, as a tool, um, like an instrument, um, by which like, positive incentives can be introduced to a complex system, um, that, um, don't currently exist, uh, and can counteract the negative incentives that are coming in from other aspects of that system. Mm-hmm. And that's like, and, and, and honestly, like that, that sounds like very like demeaning and, and minimizing and like very uninspiring, but the reality is, is when you're trying to advance the world, those things are what real change looks like, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, it, that, that, that's what durable change is. It, it's, it's, the, it's the successful uh, modification of, in, of, of incentives um, over time. And that is like the way that like I approach Bitcoin. And I realize that, that doing that, and I, I use the word durable there, and I use it very intentionally, um, meaning that I don't mean durable in the sense that like from a technological perspective that the cryptography is, is, is sound. I mean, in a social, in a social and, and political sense, mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in the, in the sense that, you know, the incentives that interface with the rest of the world in and around a technology like Bitcoin are self-reinforcing, um, and, and there's, re- and there's reasons to believe that if, if certain things don't happen, they won't be. Um, and so I am very much focused on, on trying to like push towards that world, which some people will sometimes, um, attack as working within the system because they, Mm -hmm. they have that other group of, of, of thinkers that have created this sort of self-consistent narrative from Bitcoin all the way to the top of culture, see that as, as sort of like almost like a betrayal of what they see as an opportunity to completely rebuild the institutional frameworks of society from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I don't agree that that's uh, that's doable or reasonable or, or even uh, like desirable um, for, for reasons that I, I think I got into a little bit more detail on with, with Peter McCormick. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think like if we're kind of trying to really talk in the the abstract principles, like that's kind of like how I see myself and how I position myself. And, 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 and that is like, that is like in a sense, like a very political position, right? Like to, I mean, Mm -hmm. to be instrumentalist about Bitcoin is to be political, but like to be instrumentalist about Bitcoin isn't to be political in the sense that like it, it, it ascribes itself to a politics of right. like libertarianism or conservatism or liberalism. I mean, mm-hmm. there's certainly political ideas that can exist. Like for, you know, like most 
for example, like free speech is a political idea. It's, it's one that happens to be shared by many ideological worldviews. And I'm, and I'm happy for that. And I kind of view Bitcoin the same way, right? Like, like the idea that like we should have a digitally native currency on the internet um, that allows the, the global movement of, of value um, outside the, the control of private interests or government interests. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that, can, that can be something in the same way that free speech can be seen. I mean, probably we could even argue it's a form of free speech um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Like money is ultimately information. That's very political. But you can, you can overload that, that, that politics in a way that I, I, I object to. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, how, that's how I see it. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the BitBox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank BitBox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. I think most people, it's not intentional this way, but I think most people that I've had on the podcast that are seeing these use cases of Bitcoin, and I think one of the greatest articulations is Bitcoin as a tool. So I try to say that phrase over and over again, like Bitcoin is a tool that can address certain things and start to address other things, right? Because I've had several other guests on as well, and I forget who exactly was talking about it, but it, it's not going to fix politics overnight or maybe ever. It's not going to fix no, power dynamics. It will never fit. It'll never fix politics. Yeah. Or like, you know, campaign finance or yeah. like dictators. It can be a check on power and there's different... um different ways of saying, okay, if every citizen of Togo starts using Bitcoin instead of the 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 current the local currency that yes that will inevitably topple a dictatorship if they can't fund their war operation there's different arguments to be made there but yeah bitcoin as a tool and setting forward realistic expectations i think is going to drive more adoption drive more uh, success and i i'm a fervent arguer and supporter of okay we need these societal and cultural layers of bitcoin and um uh, there's so many different people that say it, but but Evan from our team who works on our website and all sorts of other stuff talks about how layer one or layer zero is people. Layer zero is people. Without people believing in your technology, in your movement, it's not going to happen. Even if Bitcoin is the greatest thing that has ever happened or greatest invention ever come to be, it won't happen without people. It won't happen without movements. It won't happen without these things, at least in, in my opinion, That's it's not correct. inevitable. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. That's like the right, like, I mean, let, let me, I, I mean, the, I don't know. Like, let, let, I guess I kind of like that. I might steal that layer zeros people, but, um, the, like the, the reality is, is that, um, if Bitcoin was the obvious off ramp from say something even like inflation or hyperinflation, mm-hmm. I mean, it should stand to reason that, like, I mean, there was, you know, earlier this year, right, for instance, and this kind of was an example of, of, of me sort of taking a strident position. I kind of felt like I was against, standing against most of, uh, like, Bitcoin Twitter mm. and, and Noster and, 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 and the various 
places in which these conversations happen in terms of like pushing back against the prediction of hyper Bitcoinization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and there was a sense among a lot of Bitcoiners when Silicon Valley bank fell into trouble and the government and in particular the federal reserve started to put into place, um, you know, emergency lending, uh, vehicles in which banks could, you know, deal with the duration problems of mm-hmm. the the treasuries that they were holding yep. on their balance sheets as as a result of the rapid rise in interest rates that ultimately came face to face with the the long dated low yielding bonds that these banks were holding on their ba- balance sheet. In the case of SVB, um, led to extreme distress distress on the bank. Um, there were many Bitcoiners that were saying this was the beginning of the complete collapse of the United mm. States. This is it. Uh, the United, the, the United yeah. States dollar, effectively, the banking mm-hmm. system and then the dollar. There were many prominent Bitcoiners who were saying you basically had three or four months to get into Bitcoin before the dollar went to zero. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like I mean, the, the, these are like, th- this is obviously like not true, right? And mm-hmm. and, and the way that, that we know that this is not true is for the very reason that you're pointing out around like people. Because people, People have a vested interest in the survival of the U.S. dollar, right? Billions of people rely on it. Again, whether they want to or not, it it is de facto. Yeah, like like this idea that that there is going to be like a sudden awakening one day where a majority of Americans, like I mean, I'm not even gonna like 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 or even a plurality of Americans, Hmm. not make it a majority decide that they are basically ready to begin like completely deconstructing their entire financial life. Like, like, like everything from the way they pay their bills to their mortgage, to their investment portfolios, their 401ks. And they're just like, you know what? I'm ready to get rid of all of this and just hodl Bitcoin instead. Mm-hmm. And that this is going to happen because everyone's just going to realize how corrupt it is that the Federal Reserve has control over the money supply and that it's like a racket and that, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the fact that like, Wall Street has access to pre-inflationary money and that has wealth effects like that, you know, emerges in the Cantillon effect. And and Americans are just going to like be like, wait a second, this is bullshit. Like, why aren't we just switching to Bitcoin right now? And Mm -hmm. it's surprising to me that like a lot of Bitcoiners actually believe that that moment is like or at least was near when Silicon Valley Bank and then, you know, and Silvergate and Signature Bank um, fell into distress. I like sent some pretty strident tweets saying that like, this is nonsense. It's absolutely not going to happen. Like, of course, like not only is the government going to do everything they can to make sure that this doesn't pancake into another financial crisis, the vast majority of Americans are going to approve of those measures. They are not going to be mad about them. Like Mm -hmm. the, the fact that like people think that, you know, people are going to be super mad that the government is violating free market principles, that the government isn't allowing the marbles to, you know, ultimately roll the way they're going to roll and let the chips lie where they're going to lie and that they're going to interfere with the machinations of an unmolested free market. And that's going to offend the average American. 
it's just not true. Like mm-hmm. the average American wants the government to not allow the banking system to collapse because they want to continue to live their lives and not have to be in a state of crisis. And so this is like, yeah, like th- this is this is very much related to your point in the sense that um, you have to think about the incentives of the average person if you want the average person to see value in this. Now, I think that the average person will see value in this, but I, I don't think it's going to be in the, especially in the case of the United States here or or in Western you know, developed countries, countries with highly developed banking systems and um, advanced capital markets, uh, that they're going to be in this race to the exits from mm-hmm. what we refer to as the fiat banking system. Now, there's parts around, there's there's different contexts around the world where mm-hmm. um, those things are not true, and Bitcoin to me looks a lot more interesting in the short term. And I also think Bitcoin looks very interesting in the short term, even within developing economies, right? As a, you know, as a a new asset class and as a way to move money around the world, right? Uh, across border, um, without friction, um, in a yes, a decentralized, non-censorable way. But like that's, but that's because there there are there there are real people incentives that that lead me in. The, the direction of believing that like Bitcoin can and will be and has been adopted um, for those sorts of contexts. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a long journey. Like, you know, like the I think the Bitcoiners who say it's early are right. It is. It is early in this. It, it, it's probably like very early. Like we're probably decades, uh, you know, away from like a true rebuilding of the global financial system where, you know, something like Bitcoin will find itself at the the center um, of, you know, a, you know, a, a global realignment of how value is moved around the world. And that doesn't mean that there isn't like really interesting use cases. We're certainly working on those use cases today. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be this, this moment in time where the world just resets itself um, yeah. onto Bitcoin. I, like, I, I just don't believe, like, there's nothing believable about that for me. Yeah. I, I think I go most of the way where you are and it's not, I'm not saying, okay, let me find ways to push back against Mike here. I, I, so I agree with what oh, you're please, saying. I please. think no, it's more fun if you do. No, I know. And I, and I know it is too, especially for, there's so many listeners, but <laughs> quick aside, they want me to like, just bring someone on just to be like, just have a disagreement argument. I'm like, you guys are still in that Twitter zone where you want to just listen to people fighting and disagreeing. Um, no, I, I think my only little bit of pushback is those, let's metaphorically use it, these black swan events of, yeah. and I, I, and I've said this many times on the podcast, I didn't truly jump into Bitcoin kind of as this like, oh my gosh, endeavor until like February, March of 2021. So I'm very new to it. I've read a lot of the history of Bitcoin and all of the different movements and block size wars and all of this stuff. But I think there are some things that have already started to happen that are like, huh, that's interesting. Even like BlackRock, different use cases, different, even the block says word itself. But that fits into the use case I was talking about, right? Like as a, you know, as like a new set of like asset class and, um, you know, international, uh, you know, international like monetary asset. And I think like the, the, you know, the, the BlackRock application for an ETF certainly like, 
fits into the the use cases I kind of enumerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, I think things like that are going to kind of drip, 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 drip over the next few years. And that's yeah. very exciting. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm very excited that, 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 that these things are starting to happen. Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably the most likely outcome. And then there's also things like state adoption, like mm-hmm. El Salvador. And then there's other black swan events that in my head, in terms of obviously the political cycle will continue to get more and more messy. And I think Bitcoin will be talked. I don't think Bitcoin will be the topic. I don't know that the politics is going to keep getting messier and messier. I don't want to get, I don't want to get into partisan politics, but I just want to say that like, I am of the opinion that, and I know it's hard for people to believe because of like, you know, the, the current absurdity of, of politics, but I actually think things are calming down um, in many different ways. Right. I like I, I am actually kind of pretty optimistic that we're in a sort of, like we're in a sort of like decompression now from like the intensity of political divisions. Now, I don't know. I don't know that that means that like that the part of the nonsense of partisanship in the United States in particular um, is going to like, you know, go away because there's certainly a lot of weird perverse financial incentives that like Mm -hmm. rolls all the way up into way the political fundraising works and um how the media ecosystem works but i I actually think that like when you really take a step back you see a lot of signs um on both the left and the right of there being an exhaustion with extremism like you see this you see the you see even within the the democratic party even in like very 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 like like left-wing enclaves in the United States, you're seeing moderate politicians come to power in places like San Francisco mm-hmm. and in Massachusetts. You're seeing this sort of rejection, even like within the left, of like, you know, extreme identitarianism. And you're also seeing, starting to see, I mean, you're seeing some of that in the Republican primary now as well, right? Like trying to push back on that. And I and I see there, there uh, the way that, I look at this is that, you know, we've gone through a pretty traumatic decade. The 2010s were traumatic as hell for, mm. you know, the the millennial generation and the Zoomers. I mean, starting with, you know, the 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 absolute boondoggle of the Iraq war, the the financial crisis, um, you know, the complete upending of politics with the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Um, and the COVID crisis, uh, like, like, like social disorder, like the, the, you know, uh, issues around like policing in the United States, like it was a very, it was basically, you know, I I think it was like, like Noah Smith has sort of compared it to the 1970s. And I think that that's actually like very apt. And I think we're in like an actual sort of period now where a lot of people within their own political camps are now starting to like question like whether or not like they've sort of lost perspective on the fact that like there's actually really important like political policy goals um, that we need to really be thinking about like where there are really are collective interests you're seeing like like I think for all of the talk about political polarization, one of the things that just doesn't get talked about enough is actually how much bipartisanship there's been in the last two to three years Mm. on China, on Russia, you know, on, you know, 
even even on like environmental regulation like i mean there's like uh, like reform like even like regulatory reform uh there, there's even like increasing like bipartisan talk around like reforming something like nepa in the united states to allow for you know the more rapid deployment of infrastructure in the u.s like like these are like things mm-hmm. that like just like did not seem possible say like in the mid 20 teens. And so I I think there's like this really optimistic lens you can sort of put on the way that things are trending and that there's like this real possibility that like the, like, you know, if we can kind of get through the, the sort of changing of the guard and we can see some of these like, you know, characters, um, uh, that are in our political space that are sort of dominating our attention go away, there seems to be a lot of appetite on both the left and the right for like calming down a little bit. And I, and I, and I, I, I like point to that a lot and that's very optimistic and people don't seem to like to hear optimism. Everyone seems to think that you're out to lunch if you're not saying completely mm-hmm. cynical things, like believing that these trend lines are going to continue like, like continuously, like in a, in an unending uh, direction, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't. I don't think political polarization is worsening right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I hear people say that, but I, that's actually not my impression. So, anyways, I know that was like a sidebar, but people say it all the time, and I wanted to take this opportunity to push back on it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd say initially the the way I said the political cycle was in terms of, and again, not that this will make or break elections. It won't at, at this point. Uh, but in terms of Bitcoin, I do think. Um, because right now, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here in Massachusetts and Elizabeth Warren is my senator and I try not to mention her every podcast episode. But um, one of the things, I agree with her on so many things, but Bitcoin obviously vehemently disagree. And so there, there's been a lot of folks on the left. A lot of folks on the left are just kind of like crypto neutral or agnostic and, and kind of like, well, let's see, you know, it could be this, but it could be that, you know, that's a lot of it, right? So the, there's the extreme voices on either side having a specific opinion on Bitcoin, proof of work, mining, that kind of thing. I think those conversations could continue to heat up in really silly and annoying ways because you have champions on the left, such as Elizabeth Warren saying certain things. Then you have champions on the right, such as Ted Cruz saying certain things. So Ted Cruz is like, well, they don't like it. So I'm going to, I'm going to be for it. And I, and I know people have different opinions on that. I, I think Ted Cruz does like it and does see a lot of things, but there's quite a bit of rhetoric in his voice about the Democrats don't want you to have blank or the Democrats don't want you to have Bitcoin because it's freedom. And I'm like, stop saying that. Just talk but, about, just but, talk about Bitcoin. But that's always, politics has always been like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Like, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I'm not, I, I think that that's like kind of par for the course. I mean, that's what they're, I mean, we're in a two party system, which like, honestly, like I, I wish we could get rid of the two party system, but in a two party system, Mm -hmm. like one of the incentives, right. Is to try and blame everything bad on the other party and attribute everything good to yourself. Right. Like that's just what, that's just, that's just where like the incentives of political rhetoric accrue. Um, the, the, the real question is, is like when, when you get down to brass tacks, like, is there actual real agreement? I think there is, right? Like, we see these bipartisan bills, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like market structure bills making their way through through Congress uh, for stable coins and 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 for uh, and for Bitcoin and, and and crypto more broadly. Even though I, I don't really like like that, I, actually, I I I hope actually that 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 Congress doesn't um, 
uh, understep in some ways on what I see as like illegal securities dealing, but like, mm-hmm. which I don't, I don't group Bitcoin or stable coins into that mix. But um, I, I, once again, like there's plenty of bipartisan agreement there. Um, and that, 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 that was maybe one of the examples I should have listed in my diatribe about maybe things aren't getting worse uh, from a mm. polarization perspective. Um, so yeah. The, the one, the one thing I, I would say is I think, I think too, you might be feeling this or I might understand some of what you're saying. So let's say at a behind the scenes, right? Just the networking of these different policies, these bills, the just things that that churn throughout our country and just get things done. Let's say maybe that is a bit more bipartisan or this and that, but the the surface level that people see, that people read with headlines, that people get into, th- that to me is still very much so brewing, even though it, it may, maybe it's not based on reality. Maybe it's just campaign speech. Like, And I wonder part of it too, to push back a bit on, on what you're saying is... Uh, I'd say the left maybe is pulled back a little bit from what, again, not to get into a, a COVID argument, like I, I believe in the use of vaccines. I shouldn't even have to say any of these things, right? But but just kind of throwing that aside for a second, I think the left did pull back a bit from what I would consider is COVID hysteria in terms of like throwing everything at the wall because we didn't know what was going on. Some people did and then kind of pulling back from that because some people, even my most liberal liberal friends be like all right i think we went a little far let's let's pull back some of this and let's let's get to a more steady place with this now you know, that I mean, we know that what was, it is that was sort of like yeah i mean that that's i mean covid was definitely an example of how the perverse incentives of of the two-party system function in the mm-hmm. united states yeah um and you know i look i, I mean i mean i i i don't i i, I agree with you i think that um, I, yeah, I do, I do think the left went too far in some ways in how it, in, in, in the rhetoric it used around, around COVID. Um, but I also, you know, I think that like there was this, yeah, there was like a polarization effect there that led to like, I think irrational conclusions on, on both sides of, of the, of the argument. Right. Yes. Like, yep. I think, I think the sane, I mean, I think the sane, like hindsight 2020, like, you know, description of COVID is that one, you know, we were in a fog of war situation where mm-hmm. this COVID thing crept up on us very, very quickly. We had plenty of reasons to be deeply concerned about the uh, public health and national security, um, given what had happened in Wuhan and in Italy. Um, it was, we were seeing hospitals become overloaded. Uh, it appeared uh, to be a serious, serious threat, um, to, um, our collective safety. And, you know, I, well, I, I, I've been on the record many times. I don't know how many times I've tweeted this. It seems probably that like the lockdowns were too much and I would have preferred things like a strict mask policy, um, which, Obviously, the more libertarian people think that that's a step too far, but I think that's ridiculous. Um, I think the evidence that if everyone's wearing masks, you get like actually pretty good protection, like, you know, like, you know, into the 80s and 90s percent less likely to spread. Um, That's obviously contingent on everyone wearing masks, not just one person in the room. Um, And, you know, I think what yeah, we, we rushed the development of a vaccine with new technology, with, 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 with mRNA technology. Um, I actually think that that was a miracle of science. I think that, 
um, anybody who knows the science knows that um, there was always a risk that there would be waning immunity uh, as a result of this. This is actually a pretty typical problem, uh, typical is the wrong word, but a known problem with coronaviruses. Um, there had been several attempts to build, to create vaccines uh, for the original SARS virus and also MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome virus, mm-hmm. which, which is a uh, which is also a coronavirus that 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 is that is at least in the same family um, as as you know um, SARS-CoV-2, um, which is uh, you know responsible for for COVID-19, uh, and there there does seem to be an issue with 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 immune memory um, in in the human body as it pertains to the antibodies, uh, both the well, all three the inherent immunity. Uh, as well as antibodies and 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 the T cell response over time. Now, like so, in line with like previous vaccines that that we've tried to develop in the past uh, to to deal with coronaviruses, yeah, we've we've seen this issue before where you start to see waning immunity in three to six months. Um, and this this is this this was observed in our attempts to to create vaccines for MERS and 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 for the original SARS virus. Um, and there were worries that that and it, that this similar thing would happen, and so yeah, we we have seen waning immunity. Um, coronaviruses and, and RNA-based viruses are highly mutagenic, so you already had reasons to believe that that new strains would would pop up quite frequently, um, and that you'd kind of be in this sort of dog chasing its tail situation with trying to update vaccines now. But like like we had that doesn't mean that like we did the wrong thing. Um, as a society by like trying, e- even, even if like the vaccine only lasted six months and it appears that's about the level of immunity you get from it, like th- the scope of the crisis was huge. Like, right. I, like the fact that people are so outraged that they, we like, they didn't tell us that it, that it wouldn't like protect us forever. Or they didn't tell us it wouldn't spread. It's like, yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know. Like we, we were all operating in a fog of war and we did our best. And that is what society sometimes needs to do. It needs to close ranks and it needs to sort of collectively defend itself. And yes, we make mistakes. And hindsight 2020, you can look back and you can say, yeah, like we got that wrong. We got that wrong. We got that wrong. And all these people who think like, look, I was right all along. I knew this. I just felt, I just followed my libertarian principles. And if we all followed our libertarian principles, we'd never make any of these mistakes. No, like the reality is, is if we followed those principles and we were actually facing, say, a pandemic that was of much, much greater danger, um, that had say, I don't know, something insane, like 40 to 50% fatality rate, um, like those measures would would absolutely be reasonable like by any by any stretch of the imagination so yeah i mean like i i like these like i i've probably said a bunch of things now that piss off both the left and the right in this conversation Mm -hmm. and and i do think that that's like ultimately like where the truth does lie um and yeah i i think political polarization yeah it, it is unfortunate how it's made like having a conversation about this like really really hard and I don't know. Maybe I've gotten myself in a bunch of trouble by saying a lot of this out loud. But like, I, I, I happen to think that that is that is just like the way it is. And I am willing to forgive, uh, you know, politicians and public health officials who made mistakes under those circumstances because, like, like 
what else were they supposed to do given what they knew at the very beginning of the pandemic? Like it appeared to be a pretty, I, I think it, I think it's, I think it's very rich too for certain people. I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not going to mention people by name, but there are people that I saw predicted absolute disaster in the beginning. One particular mm-hmm. individual I won't call out uh, who, you know, was very alarmist about COVID um, as it spread in Wuhan and now takes a very like some uninterrogated libertarian position about how wrong it was for us to undertake any public health response at all. And such person is seen as like an intellectual giant. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I I won't call, I won't call said person out, but like, yeah, like the, the hypocrisy is insane. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm far more forgiving of, of people who operate under such circumstances. Yeah. And I think the important thing here too, is the obviously just nuance in every conversation, like for me personally, which we'll see what else we can get into with, with the time left here. But, um, for me too, like I, uh, have taken a huge step back from Twitter X, um, been more active in Noster, which I want to touch with you on because you were, and then you're not. And I'm hoping that you'll come back a little bit because I, so I pull back from Nost, uh, Twitter, you know, we post on there for the podcast. Cause I want to try to have the podcast be accessible to everyone, regardless if you agree with my methods of decentralization and the tech that I'm using to, to put out there. Um, but it, back to the polarization point, I, I guess, I guess I hope you're right. Um, with I hope where so we're headed, I, I feel like it's such cycles, right? We kind of pull back a little bit, then we ramp up again, we pull back and ramp up and it's happening faster and faster. It used to be stretches of like, you know, eight, 10 years. Now it's like one, two years. And I think the height of everything was, was COVID, right? It, it was, it was post Obama and, and people being really disappointed there. It was, um, you know, the progressives and left being burnt by Bernie and the DNC and all of these things. And then it was, it was COVID and Trump and all of this. So I do Hope that we're at a bit of height of this. The other complex factors are where we're at in the world with Russia, Ukraine, where we're at with China, Taiwan. There's so many other unpredictable things. But I guess my my fear, and I'll you know I I'll put my personal opinion out here in terms of what I'm seeing from the right. In my opinion, is more of a normalization of things that I would say are are specifically anti freedom. So people talk about being freedom maximalists, and I'm like, how can you say that when I've seen a lot of folks, local, state. Um, from the right, what I'm deeply concerned about is just less access to like healthcare rights, more, more attacks and rampant attacks of the gay and trans communities, um, less, uh, you know, abortion access and all of these things. I'm as a, as a progressive, I'm deeply concerned about that rhetoric. Even if let's say on the ground level, some state laws haven't changed or some things haven't changed the, the rhetoric of which it is very normal at a national campaign level to be saying certain things now that didn't weren't previously said is is alarming to me and and at best uh best case scenario i'm like that's just that's just disrespectful and hypocritical and just ridiculous like why do you care so much about that at worst it's affecting people <laughs> people are dying people are people are being hurt and again you know I, i'm a also a free speech maximalist i my personal opinion is get it out there so we can see all the ugly don't try to hide the ugly like like get it out there um let's as a society open up about what we actually feel as a country, right? And there's some deep... So for me, I, I do think there's deep divisions in our country that I don't know... I don't know where we go with, with certain... I'm not saying we need to split or we need to do the city-state narratives or, or this, but I, I don't know, I guess. 
Yeah. Well, I'm not, well, here's the, I'm not a maximalist about anything, you know, uh, the, once again, the failed political philosopher in me, when I hear the word maximalist, I, I think of things like Trotskyism and like stuff like that, where where I'm like, where, you know, I, 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 I think, I think that, um, uh, the, look, look, I think there is a real political undercurrent today. Um, that is a holdover from, uh, the, the culture wars of, of the last 10 years, um, that is way more politically powerful than it deserves to be based on where the average American is. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, one of the things I really like to do, and I like to try and I try to prove to people that at, at the base layer of society, America is nowhere as close to divided as it appears to be in the media and on x.com is just looking at like what Americans think on policy by policy views, mm-hmm. right? Like when you, when you go to like, say, like, say like, you know, Pew polling or Gallup polling where they do, you know, public policy polling on everything from like how, how high do Americans think taxes should be on the rich to like whether or not there should be single payer healthcare, which you just mentioned, like you, you mentioned, you mentioned like healthcare. It turns out that there is pretty broad consensus like you actually find that like 60 to 70% of Americans have generally aligned views, even on mm-hmm. things like immigration. Um, the environment as well has, has yeah. rapidly yeah. changed well, in terms of almost complete agreeance, maybe on, on what it is since the 1980s, right? Yeah, if you look like, at that, that's incredible. Yeah. Nearly 90% of Americans think that an assault weapons ban would be reasonable, mm-hmm. um, better background checks. Um, over 60% of Americans believe that the, that the government should take action on climate change. So like there, like this, this, this idea that like, uh, like the polarization we see is actually the, the result of, you know, uh, you know, a constituency capture by the, the two party system. Yeah. Um, Well, that's my fear, Mike. So, so that, that's my fear is that I, I agree with you. How, how do we, well, for me, decentralizing as much as makes sense is one step in that direction. But, but how do we, how do we have people understand that that's actually where we're at as a country, not these small group of very, very powerful and rich people, politicians, whatever are saying, this is why you're divided. This is why you're different. This is where we disagree. and, And we have to, that they still have a, a very large megaphone compared to what the actual majority underlying agreeance is as you mentioned which i'm glad you're saying all that and i'm glad we can we can amplify that i think that's that's true and leads me to what will probably be the title of this episode is like you know we're not as divided as you think right well we're not as divided as we think but you know obviously the the meat like you know our media ecosystem our information ecosystem more broadly um and the way that our politics works is in a very dangerous place. Um, mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned Noster and like why I am or am not on it. You know, I, I, I like, I think that, yeah, like those, that's like an example of, you know, I think the kind of immune response to the, like the, the, the sorts of perverse incentives we're seeing. Um, I, you know, the thing, the thing I, I worry about the most um in our society is the fact that 
we are we're we're, we're self sorting ourselves into echo chambers, and it's mm-hmm. inside echo chambers where extremism ultimately manifests itself. There's yeah. been actually been many sociological studies that have been done on this. But what they found is is that um, you know if you take a group of people that all generally agree on the same things. Um, like just like, like generally speaking, like, let's just say that like you have, you know, several people who think they agree broadly on things like, you know, taxes should be lower business regulation should be, you know, like, like minimized and et cetera, et cetera. Just sort of these kind of very, like, like just take very like pedestrian center-right positions in the United States and take a bunch of these people and put them in a room and have them talk about issues um, for several days. What people have found is that in that echo chamber, people don't just come to realize they agree. They make each other more extreme. They become more strident. They actually move further to the right. And they, the same thing happens on the left. I didn't mean, I don't, I'm not meaning to single out just the right or a left. Yeah. You're making an example. You're going to pick an example one way or the sure. other. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this happens to, and it, it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I think I like, yeah, I mean, I, am I'm, I'm pretty critical of, uh, the way left-wing politics has captured like campus culture in the United States, mm-hmm. not because like, I don't have a lot of like agreement with like, you know, I, I consider myself like pretty socially progressive, like net net, like I, you know, like if you take full accounting of my positions on these things, you, someone might even ascribe the word woke to me or something like based sure. on the things that I, I believe. Um, but I, I definitely think that, you know, the left has, has done, done similar things to itself and, and driving itself to, um, not extremes and say the, some of the same ways that, that you're alluding to, but like losing its capacity for self-criticism, uh, losing its capacity for, um, like being able to hear dissent, which is like very, very important. Um, so like, this is what actually takes me back to like, I think like maybe like why I, I kind of stepped away from Noster, not because I don't like Noster or quite honestly, like I, 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 actually been trying to step away from all types of social media um, because of the echo chamber effects that that happen. Like, I just don't like it when I'm in an environment where everyone is more or less saying the same things and not just saying the same things, trying to come up with more and more creative idioms to express a purity of views on something. So mm-hmm. like, so like, like I, I got it, I got like kind of mocked quite harshly for criticizing meme culture Mm-hmm. For this reason, um, because I view like meme culture in some ways as a manifestation of this, a way of trying to take a position, like a position that you're sort of implicitly suggesting is the correct position, probably using something like a meme to mock people who don't share that position and also to drive a more puritanical sort of view on that position, one where the the actual like the actual argument is essentially considered beyond reproach that like, there's nothing that can be said about it. Like mm-hmm. when you start to say things like Bitcoin has already won, Bitcoin is inevitable. It's like, okay, well like you're now saying things that like preclude the idea that like you could be wrong. You, you're now talking yeah. in terms of absolutism. Like that is like, that's like, th- that is the seeds of extremism. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say that like, 
you know, the Bitcoin maxi crowd or whatever are extremists. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm just like, once you get yourself into that echo chamber, and that is the mode of communication that you prefer, yeah, like you can say it's just having fun and making jokes. But I mean, that's how a lot of these political memes started too. I mean, a lot of what happened, like, I mean, like, things like QAnon and, you know, like, like the whole like phenomenon in 2016 of like the rise of the alt-right also all started with funny political means on like 4chan and then eventually like 8chan. And like, did you see that documentary by the way? I think it was Max or HBO. Oh man, this filmmaker, I think it was like the Q story or Q. I think it's just called Q. Maybe it's a series. If you haven't, you should check it out. I mean, you probably know all of this already, but fantastic coverage yeah. of it but yeah yeah it was like a couple of years ago it, yeah it's all fun and games until it isn't yeah like that and and so i i'm so you know i, I mean probably i don't know how many people i've now offended by like saying all this because i know how meme culture is like considered super important and foundational to what bitcoin is mm-hmm. um and i'm not trying to say that a lot of it isn't just fun and games but what i am saying is like like if 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 it is your goal uh, to convince people um, that you're right and they're wrong, or your goal is to you know create like empathy um, in in order for people to be able to like relate to you, such that like you can persuade them. Yeah, I mean, like th- th- these are probably very ineffective ways of of doing that. If anything, mm-hmm. it just once you start talking and like these like coded languages where you like, you can't get the joke unless you're part of the community. Well, that's, that's exclusionary social behavior, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if you're like, you know, the way in which you create community is through metaphorical secret handshakes of like funny inside jokes. Well, I mean, those things are fun and and they, they can knit together community. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that there aren't positives to that, but it's like, what, what is your goal? Like if your goal is merely to like, you know, convince yourself that you're right, well, and, 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 and the way you, you, and and if you think to yourself, well, I don't have to convince anyone because Bitcoin is inevitable. I mean, you, you, you probably are like walking like in the direction of, of something that, 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 that could be described as radicalization and extremism, uh, at least in some form, maybe not a dangerous form. I'm not like literally trying to say that like it, it, it like, you know, it, it's, it's dangerous in the, say the same way that like, I think like white supremacy is dangerous, mm-hmm. but it, it, but at least like, at least like intellectually dangerous in the sense that like you're precluding the idea that like you're missing nuance or that there's, yeah. there's some aspect of, of the world that, um, that won't cleanly interface with your ideas. And that needs to be reconciled in some way that there needs to be some sort of compromise. Um, and, and I, and I believe that like, it is, it is in those places where society functions, where society is knitted together, where we truly can live in, in a world where, um, you know, we can resolve our disputes um, peacefully and, and, and through, through legal processes and civil processes and, and, and private processes without having to result to 
you know, walking out on the street and, and, and having a shootout at, at, at 12 noon. Like, th- I mean, that, that's, that's like ultimately where I'm trying to be. And so I think I left, like, I kind of stepped away from no stir because yeah, like, I, I mean, I felt, and, and by the way, it's not, it, it's not, it's not surprising that it's an echo chamber because yeah, it's, you got all the early adopters in there, right. That are all like super excited about the technology and they're super excited about Bitcoin. And I guess I was like, well, that's not all I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's, what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't some like, I, I wasn't like, I didn't like step away, like kind of consciously because I was like trying to like send a message that I don't like Noster. I think it's mm-hmm. cool. And, and I, and I want it to be successful, but like it, for me, it was really all about me and the conversation that I wanted to be in. Yeah. And that, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, still, you can look up, I think it's, oh my gosh, is it Noster.stats? No, I, I think, um, I put it in show notes before, but just, there's like still eight to 10,000 daily users, like active users in terms of actually posting notes on Noster. For the globe, all relays. So that's, I mean, that, that tells you right there. And I think, you know, me being someone who's been on Nostra since December, 2022, I'm definitely buying into like, oh, we're, we're talking at a family picnic. And sometimes I push back against that a little bit, just saying, okay, if we want it to go mainstream, let, let's try this, this and that. So it's those early conversations, but I, I do hear you on that. And I think going, going back to some of that polarization and, um, you know, that that extremism that you're describing, that extreme ideology of I'm right, that's the only answer. I think a lot of it that I've that I've posted about before is this this position of kind of privilege or entitlement. So there've been some Bitcoiners that are that were, I view it as lucky enough or crazy enough early on to to buy into Bitcoin and actually be financially pretty wealthy mm-hmm. from the Bitcoins they've accumulated. Yeah. So a lot of these folks might feel very entitled. They might have been right about a few things. So they're like, well, I'm going to be right forever. And it doesn't mean they're going to be wrong. But I think what I'm trying to tell people is, hey, I came into 2021 and I had to push through a lot of bullshit that was really hard for me. But I grew up in a very conservative area in the South. I grew up religious. I'm not anymore. I knew how to understand different dynamics of what I'm seeing in similar ways to the dogma of what some of Bitcoin has been. And I think it's getting, it's getting better. Luckily, I, I think I think Jameson Lopp does a great job of writing about these things of Bitcoin maxi culture, but it, he and I would disagree on a lot of politics. He's just observing it like this cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. that it is. And I'm trying to say, when you come off this way, it comes off entitled and it may push certain people off. Then they might say, well, they're not, they're not good for it anyway. Well, they should be able to, or that's not the target audience anyway. It's like, well, everyone's the, the target audience here. I'm just saying you're coming off this way when you do that, do what you want. Like, absolutely. 100% do what you want, but I think this is how it's it's coming across. Um, and hopefully that that's trending in a bit more of a mainstream way, I think. Um, but but I agree with you with that that meme culture. And I, I like it, but I see your points as well about what it can send. Yeah, it's a very nuanced point. Like, I'm not yeah. like saying that you're doing evil if you're doing memes. It's not, oh, what, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. It's not what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm saying there's like a, there's sort of a, a like like when it gets to a point where that community like basically only understands its own memes and Mm -hmm. those memes are sort of like a language by which you're just sort of shit talking people who don't agree with you. And you're just like showing like, you know, the approbation for the people that do that. that, I mean, that's socially, that's social exclusionary behavior. It's not, it's, 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 it's not the most effective way to convince people 
um, that they should that they should take a d- different look. Now, I mean, I, I've said that to people, and a lot of people have said, "Well, I don't care. It's like funny, like screw people." And it's like, okay, and and a lot of those people think, yeah, like Bitcoin has already won, and people just don't realize that hyper Bitcoinization is coming, and everyone's an idiot for not realizing that. Well, I mean, I. I mean, those people are not convincible. Like, so I'm not like mm. trying to argue with them to the extent, to the extent that I, I criticize that view. It's, it's only to like uh, that. That's my attempt to basically say to the outside world that look like uh, there, there are other ways to like think about Bitcoin that are not in these incredible, incredibly narrow black and white terms um, that there is a more nuanced. And um, I think like, honestly, near-term interesting set of applications for Bitcoin um, that like we can be investing in that we can be building towards. Um, and so, yeah, like I, when I criticize those things, I'm not, I'm not really like seeking an argument with the unconvincible. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to draw a contrast. Um, and that, that's, that, that's my purpose and in, in, in mm-hmm. pushing on that. Yeah. I, I think that's what you've, and I, and I kind of identify with a lot of what you're doing. A lot of the the things I advocated for in the space. Yes, I personally would align myself with a lot of left and progressive values, but a lot of the reason I'm doing that is because I see such little of it vocally in the space. And I have so many people on the sidelines either messaging me or I've talked to at meetups or in person that are just like, hey, I, I agree with that, but I just am not vocal about it. I don't want to be shit yeah. on or I, yeah. I just want I just want to stack and hodl. And I'm like, that's great. Or they just want to use Bitcoin. They don't want to be a part of like the conversations and stuff. I personally am interested in that, but that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think that's probably why you're doing what you're doing too. But that's how you, but that's how you kind of know, like you're in an echo chamber because, and I get those too. Like you have no idea, like how many DMS I get from people. They're like, Oh my God, like, thank you for saying this. I've been in Bitcoin for five or six years. I would, Mm -hmm. I I agree with you hundred percent, but I would never say that publicly. Like, like that's like kind of, I mean, it sounds like, what I would expect to hear from say someone in the Republican party that like privately doesn't like the leading presidential candidates. Like I can't mm-hmm. say that publicly. Like yeah. it's like, it's like, well, Bitcoin's not a political party. Like why, why, mm-hmm. why do you feel like you can't say that? Like that's actually like that, that to me is actually very concerning um, about like the state of Bitcoin culture. Mm-hmm. When I get people telling me how brave I, I mean, I don't feel brave. I feel like I, I've just kind of always been this way that I've always just been willing to speak my mind. I don't really care that much if like the room doesn't like what I'm saying um, as, as long as I think it's right. Um, but it, it, it's cert- like it's certainly concerning to me that like I, I hear that. Like, what, So I went to when I went to Bitcoin Miami this year, mm-hmm. I I didn't know how I was going to feel about it because I had sort of said a lot of like hypercritical things mm-hmm. about like Bitcoin maximalism and anti-hyper Bitcoinization takes. Um, and one of the things that very quickly happened while I was walking around that conference was how many people stopped me and thanked me for saying these things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, and, and which, which I think, which I think like points to, I think a sense of like, like there is a lot more diversity of opinion in Bitcoin than appears on the surface, but very, very loud voices um, have have literally made people feel like I won't be able to be part of this community if I say very publicly what I think because it doesn't like line up with the orthodoxy of like, you know, this person or that person who is like a luminary of the Bitcoin movement and has writ- read this, written this book and like Mm -hmm. 
once again, I'm not going to name names, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 little is some of the some it seems it seems a bit crazy to me um yeah uh so that that that's that's let's be honest that's a bad sign about the state Mm -hmm. of the culture that's like anti-inclusive it's there's there's clearly people who who sort of act essentially as stewards and controllers of of the bitcoin narrative and the culture and what is right and what is wrong and you have a lot of people who are sort of swimming around the outside edges thinking well I, i don't think that yeah. I don't want, and I don't want everyone to unfollow me and block me on Twitter. So I'm just going to stick to talking about hodling, I guess. Like that, 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 yeah, or just talk about the finances or just like, you know, I, I, I posted this recently too. I'm like, listen, like we talk about decentralization. We talk about all of these things in Bitcoin. Then, then be that, be that yourself. Like if you have an opinion, there are some people in the Bitcoin community that say to me personally, I'm like, that is a wild thing to say but go for it. Like we're a big diverse community. Like just don't, don't be hateful to people and don't talk about how you want to physically harm someone or let's just, can we agree to some basic tenants here? Right. Which some people might not even agree to, but I'm like, if you're coming from a different position, like put it out there, but also I'm, there's people that message me and from different communities, they're like, Hey, I'm from the trans community and I'm really into Bitcoin, but I'm, I'm not sure how to, I had literally had someone message me that it said, just thank you for like, saying something during pride, which to me, like in my daily life and here in, again, Massachusetts, I know woke, liberal, whatever, that's just very normal part of the culture. Um, in, in my opinion, I live in a very inclusive area that I love that anybody can just be whoever they want to be right for, for, for me personally. So I live and breathe that daily. And then I dip my toes into some, some Bitcoin conversation. It's like, Oh, people find that very interesting or odd or whatever but I try not to think too much about that. Now, again, I try not to post intentionally, like I'm going to post this so that I get a reaction or say that, no, I, I want to be a presence in the community, but you're right. It's um, clearly it's an echo chamber by those different conversations we've had with folks and so many others that I've heard. That's not a, a great sign. It, yeah. It, it, well, it, yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's very frustrating. Like I, I know I'm, like I want to, I, there are, look, I, I think, I think when you reach a point where you're basically describing everything bad in the world as fiat, um, sure. like you've, you've really lost the plot. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's silly. I view it as kind of yeah, silly and yeah. Like when one, when, when one, like certain, like I, I promised I wouldn't mention names, but I won't, but I'll let people like figure out who I'm talking about. But when someone yeah. writes a book, um, about, Bitcoin and dedicates at least like several pages to talking about how fiat is responsible for degenerate and modern art. Um, Mm -hmm. And this person is like considered like a luminary and leading intellectual of, of the Bitcoin movement. I mean, I, 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 I don't really like know what to make of that. um, Other than that, that, that does actually seem like incredibly extreme to me uh, in, 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 in a bordering on dangerous way. Um, But yeah. So like, yeah. Like, and and the fact that like, that even me saying this, like should feel uncomfortable when it's so obviously crazy, like to, Mm -hmm. to say that, like whether you like Bitcoin or not, but because of that, that, that person is like a literal mascot of Bitcoin to a lot of people that that seems like, 
you shouldn't be able to say something like that, like is like crazy to me. Like that, yeah. that to yeah, me yeah. makes me very like un feel like I, I just want to kind of work on Bitcoin in my own way and like stay out of this whole thing. Yeah. Which it, which is, which is honestly fine if people want to approach it in any sort of way, such as I want to work on my own or I want to do this, but it's like, you know, there are more diverse voices here. There are people that are going to vehemently disagree with that. And, and I'm going to make sure we have nuanced conversations on here that, that include that. And a lot of people aren't on board with him or that message, by the way, so many more now than even when I came into Bitcoin two years ago, um, which is, it feels like a lifetime, but it's, it's only been two years, but I, I want to make sure too, we, we get to talking a little bit about some more ways that not intentionally here, but just pretty, kind of on my list. Fair, of, I'm pretty sure Picasso has nothing to do with fiat money, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I, again, you're getting to the point of, and I think a driving theme that I've seen from you is like, can we stop making extreme claims about all encompassing things of Bitcoin is going to fix the world in this way, or this is the result of all the ailments in the world, right? It's kind of like when I was in college, I was a big, I said this when I first went on Peter's podcast back or earlier this year, but I said I was, he was like, are you a, are you a commie? And I was like, well, when I was in college, I, I was very deep into Marxist, um, deep left thinking and, and philosophy. And I studied a lot of that in social theory and sociology. It made sense. But then along the years, I also read a lot of different folks. And I'm like, huh, there might not be one underlying current of what is, what is wrong with everything in the world, right? And I, and I see both sides doing that in extreme ways. And I think, like you say, you know, I might not agree with everything you're saying even here on this episode, but you're trying to address nuance and that there's nuance to almost everything in life. And for me personally, I probably don't engage as much on social media anymore in that way because for me, I can't get into the nuance on Twitter. I can't get into the new, I can try to get a little bit more into the nuance in person conversations through and through this podcast. So for me, I try to get into more of the nuance in an hour and a half conversation. And even then it's still a drop in the bucket, but you know, whatever. And, and I, I see you doing that same thing. No, I, I, I love, I love disagreement. Like I, 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 I've said this before and it, it's like actually true that so many of my good friends um, and like even, even my own, even my own, like, like significant other, right? Like I don't share politics and never right. have really. Like I've never struggled with this idea that like, um, you know, it, like that like ideological like disagreement is not just like, like part of life. Like people have different life experiences. Those experiences inform their view of the world. They have different levels of understanding. And um, the only thing that I really care about ultimately, right, is that, you know, you know, I, I really just like separate people's politics into like two broad categories, right? Like there's, 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 there's people who, you know, I, well, I was actually thinking about, I, I went to, I was one of the, the uh, idiots that everyone was making fun of for being trapped at Burning Man oh. um, recently, <laughs> uh, recently. We and, should have started with that. Yeah, no. And, um, uh, and while I was there, actually, I was at Burning Man. Um, I was actually thinking of a lot about this and I like, Really trapped at Burning Man with yeah, Mike Brock. At, That'll be the title. I was trapped at Burning Man. And um, I was thinking a lot about really this, like sort of like the the two, what I see is like the two broad categories of like people in the world. And, mm-hmm. um, and they, and these people exist up in the elite circles, like in, uh, you know, the, the corporate boardrooms, uh, in uh, the halls of power both in democracies and authoritarian states alike. 
and I, I view I, I sort people into into two groups. Like there's the cynics and there's the romantics. Mm. And the cynics, right, and romantics, like both. You know, at, at a certain point, like you know, I first of all, I, I consider myself a romantic, but like I I can see the game for what it is. Like I can see the fact that you know a lot of things that happen in the world happen because of like narrow economic interests or um, self-rationalization or, you know, ultimately just like not being like turning away from one's cognitive dissonance. I can see it. Like, like I can see the fact that a lot of legislation that makes its way through Congress happens because of lobbyists on K street doing their job really, really well. And that may not necessarily like align with, you know, what's in the public interest. I can see that like politicians will say things and do things for narrow political ends. Um, I can see that. Mm. And cynics can see that too. Right. And cynics look at that and they say, well, if the system is, is this badly rigged, um, then like, what like then like I'm just going to play the game in a way that like maximizes the benefit to me. And I'm, I might say things that, that sound romantic. Um, but at the end of the day, what I care about is that there's less obstacles in my path that I will accumulate the most wealth. I will be able to use that wealth in ways, um, that is as unencumbered, um, by, outside influence as possible and that all of these benefits shall accrue to me and that I don't really feel any moral obligation to the future, to my posterity. Um, nor do I care about anything other than advancing those interests. Mm. And I, and I think like that is like ultimately like the, the, the cleavage between two different groups of people. And if, and I can look at romantics who hail from the left or romantics who hail from the right who really do like, I mean, like, I, like there are, like I, there are like, I, I'm not a conservative, but there are like actual real, like conservative thinkers who like I admire as having like a romantic sort of notion. Like, you know, they might buy way more into some like Straussian arguments around like how society should be argument, you know, uh, organized around stability. I might even have some sympathy here and there for like some of those points, mm -hmm. but like I can, I can like, you know, somebody like that, because they, when they think about those things, they're thinking about community and they're thinking about the world that they want to leave behind. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately what we see, and I think some of the people who we referred to today, I actually think probably are a lot more on the cynical side. Um, yeah. And so I, I want to live in a world and have friends with people who share those romantic notions for the fact that, that humanity, you know, can, can advance that, it, that, that, that the world can be a happier place, um, that it can be a, a, a place in which more people's like deepest like desires can be realized that, that, you know, I, I, I think, I think maybe the reason I was thinking about this at, at Burning Man in particular, and, and I actually, I, I, you know, a lot of people make fun of the event um, 
and I get it, but I, I actually think it's a, it was a pretty like amazing experience, uh, to, to, to really just see the level of creative energy that, that an event like that represents. It's like mm-hmm. pure creativity. Like, like it's, 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 it's an event which was just like willed into existence through human imagination and this sort of act of intentional community. And, and to think that like, like this is like, this is like actually like the core of like what makes life worth living, right. Is, is, you know, this, this sort of romantic ideal of like, of like creation and love and companionship that I think the romantics of both the right and the left can, can often usually agree on like that. Mm -hmm. That's like what we, what we want out of, out of life. And I think, you know, I can be friends with all those people, but, 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 but there, but yeah, but, but those are, but those are, but there, but we, we are, we are in some way at, at war with the cynics who have looked at the, have looked at the game and they've said, I see all those things too. And those things make me wonder why I should give a shit at all. Mm. And, and, and I, that's, that's just not a path that I'm willing to go down because I do care about our legacy. I do care about how the world will be, you know, beyond the span of my own life. Um, and that, that, that to me is like, the, 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 the real category, um, of politics that, that, that I tie myself to that I think leaves a lot of room for friendship and community beyond some belief in whether or not we have single payer healthcare or how high or low taxes are, um, or what you think, you know, trade policy with China should be. So like, I, 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 that, that to me, that is like ultimately like the most like important part of my politics. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I try to get more to those duopolies too of, you know, people will have many different phrases and saying, so there's cynics and romantics. And for me, I've been pivoting more and more, like even the way I'm thinking about Bitcoin, then I get more excited about just like decentralized tech and other types of things outside of Bitcoin. And and you've said this before and so many others, it's like, yes, Bitcoin is one tool. There's also like Bitcoin isn't going to be the answers to all these other decentralized protocols. Like you don't need a Bitcoin layer for I mean, there's Bitcoin built into it through zaps and, and and payment and stuff, which I think is great, but Nostra is not built on a Bitcoin layer. There's no blockchain or it's its own protocol. There's going to be other protocols that are developed that are, I think, good things for humanity. Mm-hmm. So the one, the one closing thing I wanted to get into was, you know, your thoughts and perspectives on decentralization versus centralization, what you all are doing at TBD, and how you view technology as a role to help humanity through that lens? Well, I, it was, it's probably like a really long conversation. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how much time you have, but, um, look, I, like decentralization is, you know, it, it, what do we mean? What do we mean by that? Right. When we say that, um, you know, it's, it's a very like loaded term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's just like, per, well, no, it's not yeah, just like progressive, yeah, but it's I mean, a whole thing in its own. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think like, look, um, I don't think that everything can or should be decentralized. Right. Like for, for example, um, I think that, you know, for there to be uh society, um, we must have some common foundations. We must have some common epistemology. Um, these things are very, very critical. Um, to social and societal stability that I think, and that that stability is, is very important and is a prerequisite, 
um, to human thriving. Um, now, when we talk, I think when we talk about decentralization with these technologies, what we're really talking about is creating different incentive structures um, to counteract what we see as negative incentives towards the accrual of political, cultural, and economic control. Mm. I think what we mean by that is, you know, in, in more sort of concrete terms, is I think we worry about the ways in which certain entities, uh, private companies and, and governments have accumulated power, not, not necessarily even because for nefarious reasons. Like, I don't think that like Google and Google search is like basically the default search engine for the world because Google sat out, like, you know, you know, set out to like, you know, basically put all of its like prevent others from building search engines and prevent others from doing those things. Mm -hmm. they, they, they got there because they built the best product and, um, they didn't, they didn't like, they didn't kill people and lie, cheat and steal to do it, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that, that, that the accrual of that level of power is not potentially dangerous. Yeah. It doesn't mean like it does. And like, it doesn't mean that that accrual of power couldn't be subverted. It doesn't like, even if Google today, like, let's just take for like, uh, like, like for granted that like Google is like literally has human humanity's best interests in mind right now. It doesn't mean that like whoever is the CEO of Google 10 years from now will have humanity's best interests in mind. It mm -hmm. doesn't, it doesn't mean that the, that a, you know, like heavens forbid that the United States were to fall into some sort of like authoritarian spiral that the power that Google is wouldn't be captured and wielded um, by that power. It doesn't, it, it also stands to reason that the, that the conglomeration of that much information um, is also a potential honeypot for a malicious actor. Mm -hmm. It does. It also. It, it, it's also reasonable to worry in the age of of artificial intelligence um, and the the power that comes with having that amount of concentrated data um, could could provide somebody and, and maybe and maybe even power that they themselves can't control. Right to to start talking about the existential risk problems around AI. So, like when I talk about decentralization. I worry about those incentive structures. Mm -hmm. I don't think in terms of these like deep, dark conspiracies about sure. like who has the right to have the power or not. I don't think that's really the interesting question. The real interesting question is to the extent that these power structures um, have even, even under the best intentions have, have led us to this place we ought to think about these things in a way that's about making sure that incentives in the future do not ultimately lead us towards these incredibly dark ends. So what we're doing at TBD is we're trying to build a new set of technologies that allows us to start thinking about the fact that there is a surplus of compute. There is a surplus of data storage. We're walking around with like terabytes of data storage in our pocket now and underutilized idle computing power with increasingly 
efficient, like, you know, mobile processors and saying to ourselves in that world, when you start to think about the equities of these risks that exist or like with, with, you know, these risks of centralization, can we now with that, with, with that, that's those surpluses. Can we can we actually turn those surpluses into incentives to like change the way in which, you know, applications and personal identifying information and um, like you know, identity, you know, identity is a really big part of TBD's mission to create a decentralized identity service, really building into these, really building on these sort of ideas. And thinking like, well, and maybe we could even have a more magical internet than we have today. Like that's like way more semantic in nature. You know, like, you know, uh, Tim Berners-Lee talks about this, right? Um, and I, I think, I think that that's like ultimately what we're built, what we're building towards. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I'm trying, I've, I've tried to take a very like, like positive and hopeful tone, like with you today, right? Um, on, and, and like the future, but you know, I, I, th- I think these I think these dangers are, are real, and I think mm-hmm. that you know this with the stuff that we're trying to do with Web five. You know, you know, my hope is is that um, obviously my hope is, is that it it succeeds. Um, but my secondary hope is if it doesn't succeed, that something like it succeeds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in in in, in order to ultimately uh, you know re, like rebuild the incentive structures um, that have have led us to this place. And there aren't really many, it, it's not obvious to me what the off ramps will be unless, yeah. unless like, unless positive incentives are, are, are created to the corollary. So that, 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 I think, I think decentralization is needed in places where, um, the, in, the incentives accrue towards the unchecked use of power or the potential mm-hmm. for the unchecked use of power, um, yeah. in a, in a particular, in like an asymmetric way. So I'm a little bit less worried to say about, you know, the centralization of, you know, like say something like Instagram than, mm-hmm. than, than maybe like other people in the space are right. I mean, I'm, I don't think Instagram is good for people. I think it's, you know, the research has shown it's like actually really, really bad for people's like self-image and, and their sense of how good their life is vis-a-vis others. And there's always been studies mm-hmm. done into it. Um, but like, you know, just like sharing pictures on a centralized platform just to show the world that, you know, like, like you know, your, your awesome latte, you know, that you just got. I mean, I think that's like relatively harmless, like, um, you know, in, in, in like the grand scope of things. And, and I think that like, you know, I, I, I don't, and I, and I actually think like social media actually like is not as important, um, uh, to people's lives as they think it is like mm. this idea that like Twitter is like the most important town square in the world. Like I didn't never, I mean, it, it is a town square, but like, I, I think the reality is, is that like, I think like only one in five Americans were like ever really on it. So like, does that mean that like four in five Americans are just like not part of any important national conversation? Mm-hmm. That's pretty condescending. Yeah. Actually, sounds I, I would, the only, the only thing I would push back in terms of the importance before I get too away from it is it's also low hanging fruit in my opinion though. So something like Noster, like in, we'll have, we'll have Ben Ark on as well to talk about this, but just, you know, him, Fiat Jeff, Rabble, others who have focused on 
kind of this social media layer of Noster. Like Noster is this protocol that could be so many different things. It's kind of like trying to describe Web5. And I know you guys just kind of played around with that because Web3 is just this thing of like, you're just, no, this is just VC mumbo jumbo. But with uh, social media on something that's decentralized, that's low-hanging fruit to play around with. What could decentralization look like in terms of the major social media players are centralized? And the only thing I would push back and say, yes, for a lot of American residents, Western residents right now, is your life at danger and your livelihood as much on centralized social media? No, I think Elon is taking Twitter, me personally, and X in a direction that is, he's been very clear about WeChat and all these other things that I just don't want to be a part of. I don't want to envision a world where that is the de facto standard and we're slipping towards that. Now, there are people in Saudi Arabia that will be arrested and murdered because of what they've posted on Twitter. Um, and now again, decentralization doesn't remove that risk because it's also public right now, at least Noster, but there could be private channels. There could be, there are private relays, there are other private channels that cannot, you know, censorship resistant, all of this other stuff is really important. Like Elon decided to censor in terms of Turkey's election and said, well, this is better to censor a little bit than to have Twitter not exist at all during the cycle. I don't want to overstate it's an, problems, it's an, but not understate. It's an incoherent, yeah. it's an incoherent position. Right. So maybe I'm being too principled on it, but for me, I'm like, that's low hanging fruit. Um, Why not try decentralization there? Do we need the same metaphor of decentralization for healthcare access? I'm not saying don't, don't, I'm not saying don't try decentralization. I didn't mean to say that social media doesn't matter, but I am saying it doesn't matter as much as people think. I think that there is a bubble of mm-hmm. people I, myself included, or like twitter is the town square i, yeah, I see yeah. your point myself yeah. included like i have lived inside that bubble mm-hmm. and like when you pass outside that bubble because like 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 and you talk to like people who aren't on twitter like like it, it's very clear that they do not like feel and see the world in the same way that i do Mm-hmm. And I know that like, you know, like Sam Harris has like talked a lot about this as well, like his experience of like, of like leaving it. Yep. Um, and, and like, uh, and it's just true. Like I, I actually just recently requit Twitter for like a second time. Like I was off of it for like four or five months and I'm mm-hmm. off of it again. And my, yeah, like I, I feel I feel a little better. I feel, yeah, I feel like way more <laughs> mentally healthy. Yeah. Like I, I, I did, I did, I did see some people's responses to my like last tweet where I kind of like said I was like kind of leaving and it was bad for my mental health. And some of the people were kind of like saying that that's like my own mistake for like caring what other people think. And, and like, I I think that's like actually like a very, like, like I actually think it's a very silly thing to say. Mm -hmm. Like if you care about the world, right. If you care about the world being a better place, caring about what other people think is a pretty important thing to do. Like Mm -hmm. if like if a majority of people in my social circle think something that I think is like morally horrendous, like I probably should care a lot about that. Like, and you're going to want to add your voice, right. Or your impact or, or whatever. Yeah. Yes. And so like for me, like checking out a Twitter is the culmination of two things. It's a culmination of the fact that like, I do care about what other people think, at least like, you know, I, I don't take things, I don't care about it in the sense that I take things personally. I really don't care if people, Mm. what people say about me or the, the words and the names they attribute to me. I I don't care about that. 
Mm -hmm. I, but I certainly like, you know, like I, you know, I, I care a lot about the, the project of liberal democracy in the world. I care a lot about that. Like it's, it's, it's one of the things that I not, not only do I care about it and I say positive things about it. There are, there is a large part of my private life outside of my professional life that is dedicated to doing things within my capacity, financial and otherwise, um, for advancing that goal. Um, not, not just, not just in the context of the United States, like, but even in the context of like, you know, the, the global sphere, I, I have, you know, I am unapologetically a believer, like, you know, like, you know, like like someone might describe me as like a liberal internationalist or whatever word they want to put on that. And like for the political science sense. Um, but like, I, I, I definitely like believe that, um, it is not only like legitimate for us to say, defend liberal democracy around the world mm. in, up to and including yes like providing military and defensive aid to ukraine mm-hmm. and to taiwan in my opinion um in my opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> be very careful about that um and uh, and 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 to the extent that like people don't agree with that and people and and people will say well why should we help any of these other countries when we can't even help ourselves? Or how dare we spend a, send a billion dollars to Ukraine when there's like a bridge in like Idaho that like hasn't been fixed by the federal government or any of these like ridiculous zero sum statements. It's a, it's a lot more than a billion, I will say, but I agree with you for the most part, but it's, it's been a lot. Yeah. But like, but I care, of course I care about that. Like, yeah. why would it's I not need- exactly how that works either? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, like, I mean, I, I think I, I don't, I don't want to like debate like the, 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 the silliness of, of zero sum thinking, but like, I, I, I definitely, I, I definitely think like, yeah, like if, if you, if you want the world to be at a better place, you have to care about what other people think. Mm-hmm. And if, and if you think other people are thinking things that are like, contrary to what you see as a positive path for the future of humanity then like yeah like 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 for someone like myself that like thinks a lot about those things yeah like being on twitter and seeing like the echo chamber of like you know that is that is that is the sort of like bitcoin twitter and like increasingly a sort of a resurgence of the alt-right on there. Yeah. It's not, it's not good for my mental health. Like I, 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 I'm happy to keep like arguing against those things, but I don't have to like expose myself to Mm -hmm. the, the sort of like incredibly like, like bad social incentives that like Twitter creates for amplifying outrage and, and for like trying to like poke, bears and and like the and and now like honestly like twitter like paying people now for the amount of impressions their tweets get like sim like tells me that it's going to get a lot worse and so Mm -hmm. yeah like i I don't want to be a part of that and so yeah i i it it, and like like i said it's not that people disagree with me i don't care like i would rather people disagree with me than agree with me because I, I find that intellectually stimulating. But that's not what people are doing. People are literally just trying to piss people off and they think it's mm-hmm. funny. And that's like, yeah. and, 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 and that's only going to get worse. That's only going to get worse with these economic incentives that, that, that X.com is putting in place. So mm-hmm. anyways, that's my kind of full throated explanation as to why I've stepped away from that platform. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the way I live on a lot of things too. And I think, 
if people if people don't know what to do in terms of because a lot of people just throw their hands up, whether it's privacy, whether it's Twitter, whether it's whatever, they're just like, ah, oh, this is the way it is. This is this is what we have, this is what we can use, this is the well, this is the political structure we have or whatever. You know, it does sound cliche, but one immediate thing you can do is start thinking about what decisions you would make for yourself, right? Like for me, I'm like, I would not like to support Elon in this quest. And I hate saying support Elon in this quest, but he's made it very much his personal project. So it feels very much like Elon's platform, right? I, I would not like to support that personally. I'd like to support a different avenue. I also, it's very different conversation, but um, I'm also very overtly a vegan in the space as well. Just showing people there's diversity of that as well. That was a very individual are decision you, for me. Oh, I'm not oh, trying to oh, argue with people. Are about you trying that. to argue that you can like... Uh, you can be a Bitcoiner and not only eat beef. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm still unsure about that, but right, right, right. So it's like things like that. It's like, okay, you can start by saying, I don't want to engage with, with Twitter because that's kind of just a messed up way in all these incentives. Like I choose a personal diet. I choose a personal religion, a personal this, a personal that. Like start start there. Uh, and then let's see what we can do collectively as as a community. So I... Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, sure. I personally, just to be clear, I actually love beef, but I, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever tweeted that. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it, it, I don't, it, I've. The you get a lot of impressions, whole, Mike. You should in beef like identity like group that's like kind of connected now in some people's mind is like actually like the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Um. I. I don't. I. I don't quite get it, but um. Sure. <laughs> I always joke. I'm like, if you, if I have to see pictures of your steak, you can see pictures of my like vegan bowl that I made. So <laughs> I like sometimes will post it just as like a funny thing in my head of like, I'm going to have this because I'm seeing so many like steak pictures. I'm like, I'm going to throw like this vegan picture into the mix just to just cause just, just so it's out not, there. not allowed, not allowed. Right. Yeah. You'll be excommunicated from Bitcoin. Seriously. Um, all right. On that note, I'm just kidding. Um, sort of. So let's, let, let's wrap up here. I, I think, I definitely want to have a more thorough conversation with you on many other things still. I love uh, some of your thoughts, nuanced thoughts around, gosh, like our, our, our role as global citizens. I think there's a lot we could get into with that, but um, yeah, I think a lot of people enjoy this conversation. Um, hopefully I didn't get you in too much trouble, but I think it was good. Oh, this is great. I, that was great. In fact, like, I, I think this is like um, a good time now to be having this kind of conversation around Bitcoin's culture internally and its place within like more broader culture and its mm -hmm. relationship to politics because like you know you you i have you know even though i kind of stepped away from x.com um i i it it didn't go unnoticed actually that there's a huge sort of conversation now happening within within that bitcoin community there about what we're talking about about mm -hmm. like the fact that you know that a lot of Bitcoin culture is very exclusionary and you're seeing it. Like I, I'm actually happy to see some like pretty prominent Bitcoiners have been sort of like pointing out that like Bitcoin is not culturally approachable. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, as you know, I've been probably, I've been saying that for like years now. Yeah. Um, but like, but it does seem that there's like more and more Bitcoiners who are kind of coming to the same conclusion that like, mm -hmm. if we're actually going to grow this, like we need to like talk a little bit more openly about like kind of how crazy some aspects of our culture is. Mm -hmm. And so even though, 
you and I, I'm saying this now, I'm, ac- I'm actually saying it at a time that a lot of other Bitcoiners are saying it too. And that, yeah. that, that, and, that, and, that, and, that and that's actually like very encouraging. So I'm actually a little bit less out on a ledge right now than maybe I was like a year or two ago. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, and I think we'll continue to get there. And my, my hope is that we have these conversations and then just keep going. Like I have this conversation, but also some episodes, I'm going to have more technical conversations about really cool Bitcoin products or other, like there's going to be so many different types of conversations. Some people will be like, I don't want to listen to them talk about this. That's fine. We've got another episode or you can listen to this or that. Like there's so much diversity of thought and things. So the more we can have these conversations and get it out in the open, the more we can bring people in and the more people we have just building uh, on Bitcoin, creating content, having all these conversations about our broken world the better. And then we can just keep moving forward. We don't have to talk about it as much. We don't have to say, why are you saying that? Like, let's just move forward. I, I, and so, yeah, I agree. I think, I think more people are coming to that realization. And again, for people to understand, it's not about, I disagree with you. Don't say that. It's about like, what is the goal? <laughs> what, what is the goal and what is the point of conversations? It's just being aware of that rather than so dismissive. I a hundred percent agree. But um, thank you, Mike, for, for junk, jumping on. I had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, this is fun. Do you have any? I didn't know we were going to go this way, but like I, you know, it was, it, it's fun to like it's fun to like talk about it at, at this level and and like in a first principles way. Um, you know, it's probably not what many people expected, uh, but yeah, I happy to come back on anytime. Uh, this was just a super cool. I'm glad. You know, I uh, I know that we we did this once before and it didn't quite work out uh, mm. <laughs> for us. That's a- yeah, well, that's when, uh, so previously to Mark um, was the previous host of the podcast and Mark is still yeah. around and things like that. So yeah, and again, uh, what's been fun about this podcast, the last thing I'll say is there's a lot of very, very vocal progressives that did take a bit of a step back the past year because I think people were just getting kind of exhausted um, of the dialogue, of the rhetoric. So bringing this podcast back on, kind of revamping it, having just literally like many different types of conversations on the on the show and different types of guests. I think it's getting people a bit more excited, even for people that are like, you know, I hope people are listening. It's not just about I'm going to listen because I agree. And there have been people that have listened and said that's it's too progressive or it's not progressive enough or, you know, all of this stuff is really funny to me because the point is just having just a range of conversation that to me personally, I don't think exists enough. So I wanted to put it out there, not just to have something else yeah. in the echo chamber. And again, hopefully the goal is we grow more and more of a presence so that more people that are not into Bitcoin start getting some peripheral messages and seeing some things. And I think I think there's been a lot of positive feedback in the community, let's put it that way, about what we're trying to do here and the conversations, even with people that would vehemently disagree with me on things because they're seeing the bigger impact of these types of conversations for trying to widen the tent, which is like, it's an honor. It's, it's really fun too. I'm doing it because I like, how, you know, I wanted to talk to you because I'm like, Mike seems like a cool guy. I want to have a conversation with him. That was the, that was the approach here. So um, yeah, this is super fun. Do you want to send anyone to any place in terms of your, you, you said you took a break from, from X. Um, again, would love to see on Nostin. Yeah, I haven't, we, we've got it, a few more diverse voices I, there, but I get it as well. So, Social media is exhausting. So I, I started a, a medium uh, blog, uh, and I have one post on it. Oh, awesome. Okay. And, um, uh, I don't actually have like the URL off the top of my head, but, um, if you want to send it to me, you can. If, yeah. If not, yeah. Uh, and, and that was like one of the ways I was thinking of like, like maybe like more long form, 
like mm. expressing like some of my thoughts, like as opposed to like in like fragments uh, yeah. on, on, on Twitter threads uh, mm. slash x.com threads. Um, I haven't really, I think it's, I think it's healthier, not, not, not saying for you personally, but for me, I've started to do that more. There's a Nostra enabled client called Habla.news that allows that same thing. Um, I think it's better personally rather than, I think it's just also the the only reason I haven't really thought about like doing it like through something like that is like a social network is like, I'm not like, I'm not sure that I want the incentives of like worrying about like what people say back to me right mm-hmm. i mean not that i don't love that like i i honestly like i love debate like and i yeah. like would be happy to jump on like debates right left and center um mm-hmm. uh but like i think there is just certain there's something that there's something very pure to just sort of being able to say like look like i've thought very deeply about something and i want to like just like lay it out there and it's like mm-hmm. completely unvarnished way as opposed to really worrying about like what like what people how people are going to like comment on it like i, I don't like i don't i don't even want like comments turned on on my medium yeah. <laughs> yeah no that makes sense it's a different thing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's just like i mean maybe like i don't know that I, i'm not even saying that i like won't go back to like like social media like no stir or blue sky or mm. whatever i'm not i'm not even like i'm not like intrinsically opposed to like like doing that i i've like played around with all of them mm-hmm. but i think like i'm just like trying to like yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like selfishly like trying to like f- find my own zen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good thing, man. So, That's good. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Anywhere. I mean, we'll make sure that like, you know, TBD is in the show notes, things like that. But but anything else before we, we sign off here? No, this is great. Yeah. Uh, like I said, welcome. Uh, happy to come back anytime. Uh, thank you for having me today. Uh, this was yeah, great. Course. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. We'll talk to you later. Cool. Thanks. All right, bye.